may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Beebidi-boo, doot-doodle-doo, dee-ba-da-pow. Welcome to A Real Education Noir. I am Melissa, and these are my co-hosts. Tanya! And- Allie! Sorry, I jumped <laughs> the gun. I'm excited to be here today. That was Allie, <laughs> in case you couldn't hear that. Hi, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> I've already had a beer. Allie's already had some wine. We're all good. <laughs> so, uh, we are here today to discuss the big heat. Mm. With snow. With snow. Yes, it just snowed. We were very, very happy about this. So, um, Tanya, what do you know about the big heat? That it's famous and that I should have seen it before now. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And Allie, what do you know about the big heat? That sounds about right. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. I I have actually seen this one once before. I did uh, thankfully see it in a theater. It was wonderful. I think there's a gun. I'm sure you are correct about that. So yes, The Big Heat is um, a very famous noir. Um, it doesn't seem to be as well-traveled as many of the others, uh, but it should be. It's um, a highly in- influential movie. Uh, it's directed by Fritz Lang, who directed things like Metropolis <gasps> and M and the Dr. Mabusa mm. movies. And uh, he's one of the guys who really influenced noir because he he started uh working in the uh the silent era and throughout the 1930s and a lot of the tropes of noir came from his movies so that the darkness and the the way characters are treated all that stuff kind of comes through in this so um the big heat is a very seminal noir it was um unavailable for a long time it's not quite as well traveled as things like uh the maltese falcon or anything like that so many people have not seen this even though it's been very influential on other directors so i'm very excited to show it to you Yay. yay so um we should go watch the movie Let's do it. All right. Movie. Dear listeners, you should watch it too. It's uh, currently on Vudu and a few other streaming channels, so go seek it out. So, ladies, what did you think? That was really good. <laughs> Isn't it great? There was a gun. It was, <laughs> there were a lot of guns. There were a there lot were of guns. guns. There was even a lot of bullets. There were, uh-huh. there were what, nine bullets in one yeah, gun? Yeah. I think yeah. eight or nine. The, yeah. Although, he actually ran out. He did. So, he, maybe he had a modified magazine of some sort. Possibly. Possibly. And he is a gangster professional. So, yeah. you know, yeah. that's, that's a chance. Yeah. I, I do love there was a scene where he where Banyan walked in and every single person in the room... Had, had a gun. gun. <laughs> there are so many guns. Just like the old army buddies, just like, oh, I got a gun. I got a gun too. Look at my gun. I'll put mine away. The, yeah. And then they all put them in their pants. Yeah. They're probably all loaded. Yeah. Just pointed Some... right in their pants. <laughs> With a six-year-old kid in the Next building. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. all the guns. All guns. But those guns are to keep that six-year-old safe, damn it. That is going to be one safe six-year-old. That's going to be one dead six-year-old, statistically. <laughs> but, you know, could be safe dead, maybe? <laughs> oh, and that doesn't count the one dude that they had waiting in the stairs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With the gun. With more guns. So that's like bonus gun. Bonus yeah. gun. Bonus gun. <laughs> 
<laughs> all right, dear listeners, if you have if you haven't seen the movie, first of all, I recommend it. It, yes. it really is a very it's, solid oh, movie. Yeah. Oh, oh, and it's the origin of Columbo. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, I mean, the dude actually says, if you could just clear one more thing up for me. <laughs> it's true. Like, it, it really is. One more thing. <laughs> and it contains a young Lee Marvin. And I, w- I was very vindicated when Lee Marvin's name came up and everybody in the room went, Lee Marvin! <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was, Glenn Ford. It was an unexpected moment of delight. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, yeah, Glenn Ford, whatever, whatever. Lee Marvin! <laughs> and he was yummy. Oh, he was. He was so Lee Marvin-y goodness. Oh, oh Lee Marvin's so great. I I just adore I Lee I kind of wanted him to win the gun battle just so Lee Marvin could win. <laughs> but Hayes Code. Yeah, but Hayes well, Code. Well, yeah, although... Although um, that was a brilliant use of Hayes Code. It was. Yeah. With the coffee. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lovely, lovely. All right, so anyway, we should just do a brief, <laughs> re- a super brief recap because this is a very twisty-turny plot and, you know, it's more fun to just... Discover it for yourself. But very briefly, um, there is the this politician who's kind of greasy and there's like criminals backing him and all that. And, there's, and corrupt cops. There's a, there are corrupt cops. And uh, there's the good guy. I'm, I'm going to do air quotes. Good guy. Played by Glenn Ford, who is Pa Kent in the 1978 Superman. Yeah. Ah! Ah! That's Glenn Ford. And uh, so Glenn Ford is the quote good guy because he's kind of a brutal good guy. But he's yeah. you know, nonetheless a good guy because he's opposing the bad guys. And um, so he has a family, he has a wife, he has like a six-year-old girl at home, and he's pretty sweet with them, but he's pretty brutal to everybody else. And um, he gets embroiled in this, um, trying to, you know, figure out who murdered, uh, um, let's see, okay, first of all, first of all, okay, so one guy kills himself, but really it wasn't a suicide. No, well, it was. It it was a suicide. It was, but but, he left incriminating evidence, which then needs to be get covered up yeah and his widow who is the best evil oh, widow she's ever so cool um although her acting yeah. like oh like she, she's a, so over the top if i was a cop like i would be suspicious of her like right off the bat yeah although i, I love the opening scene where the guy commits suicide she comes in and she's like i'm this guy's widow and he you know, hangs up the phone yeah. and she's just cold and then she's like sobbing in the next scene when the yeah cops and she's just but you can tell she's like preparing for the interrogation she knows is coming oh yeah she's like putting her robe like in a special like oh and dabbing her eyes like mm-hmm. i almost thought she was putting on makeup to make herself look more i really yeah, I think liked so. that her mascara did actually run you never yeah, see that yeah good. yeah yeah Waterproof mascara has ruined that for everybody. <laughs> but I can bring that I like back. It, I like it just fine, you know, when, when I'm the one doing the crying, when I'm sitting in the back of the theater at Iron Giant, my mascara is not yeah. running. Mm-hmm. But, but in a film, it's really satisfying when a woman is, is crying and her mascara is running because it's like, okay, you are like, actually, it, it, it makes the emotion look You know what we also need to bring authentic. back that I think would help even with the the mascara not running mm. the Endora from Bewitched yeah. eyeshadow like mm, that with the yes. lines that went because then that can run because if you put on enough eyeliner that stuff's not gonna stay yeah 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 
True. I like this. Sorry, True. I will always be out about makeup. That's just my, my and, and really, this is the era for that sort oh, of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How about that super shiny makeup she was, that, that oh, yeah. lipstick? That was super great. But anyway, um, so Twisty Trini plot, you know, this guy commits suicide. Cop is on the case and he's suspecting it's not suicide or, you know, like there's something more up with this. And then this, this mall dies and he's like, hmm, that's also suspicious and starts unraveling all this. And then the criminals threaten his family and then. And one night his wife goes out and the car blows up, which I really appreciate, by the way. The the fact that the act the movie actually goes there and blows oh, yeah. up the innocent wife. I was wife. worried that they weren't gonna do because I called it. Yeah, that it was you totally happen. did. But then I was like, oh well, they won't really do that. Yeah. She I won't really be... die. I thought she'd be in the hospital. Yeah, or yeah no, maybe be But no, they're like, no. We, I, I'm sorry, I didn't catch you after the funeral, and I was like, oh, they did it. I yeah. know, and, I, and yeah. it really made me mad because I loved the shit out of her. I yeah, know. she was pretty. She great. was smoking. Was like, she was drinking. Yeah, I was like, oh, she's like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now she's dead. Oh no. And and, and then. Oh. And then, uh, you know, Lee Marvin comes in. We go, oh, yay, Lee Marvin. And, but, he, you know, he's, he's a bad asshole. guy. Yeah. He's an asshole, but he's a great he, asshole. Well, he's he's Lee Marvin. He's Lee Marvin. If he wasn't Lee Marvin, I would have, oh, that bastard would have fucking died. Oh, yeah, totally. But he's Lee Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, bad, bad things happen to, like, every woman in this plot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our good guy is not so nice of a good guy. He, like, chokes witnesses and everything. And um, it, it, it twists and turns, and there are a lot of dead people. And yeah. um, the very famous scene is, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, uh, I can't remember her character name. Gloria Graham. Oh, uh, Debbie. Uh, yeah, Debbie. Um, catching the, the coffee in the face. God, oh, oh my boy. God. Uh, so, Lee Mar, there's this very famous scene Lee Marvin and uh, Gloria Graham, who is his kind of girlfriend. Um, he suspects she's been talking to the cop, which she has, and he takes a pot of boiling coffee and pours it on her face, and she's disfigured for the rest of the movie. And yeah, it all happens off screen, but, but man, you know, uh, Gloria Graham, who is this beautiful woman, is. For the rest of the movie, she has like uh, Freddy Krueger makeup on, or yeah. or they actually do the latex applique. Yeah, yeah. So. Which I, is that the first? I I being a, a theater makeup person, like I would be interested to find out if that's like one of the. Well, it's probably not the first use of the applique, but like no, no, it, it wouldn't be. I I think I've seen that in silent movies too. Okay, with I wasn't sure how soon they figured that out. Yeah, that, they've been that's... using it forever because it's so good. Yeah, yeah. And it was really good. Like, I kept looking at it going, that's really good makeup. Yeah. It is pretty good makeup, yeah. yeah. But anyway, that that's a boiled down thing. It's, you know, there are criminals. There's a, a cop that goes rogue to catch the criminals. And in a nutshell, that's what goes on. And, uh, you know, Glenn Ford is bringer of death to all women because every woman that meets him in this plot has something horrible happen to yes. her. Yes. Let's see where to start. So might as well start with Glenn Ford. Like I said, he was Pa Kent and Superman. Um, he was all over the place in this era. He, uh, like uh, he was a big, big studio star in the 40s and 50s. He um, hit it big uh, acting across from Le- Rita Hayworth in a movie called Gilda. Oh, which ooh. is a little one. Just a little mo- just a movie little called thing. Gilda. Uh, has anybody seen that? Oh, we're, we are so going to watch that for this podcast. <gasps> yeah. Yay! 
Yeah, we are so going to watch it because Gilda is amazing. Um, yeah, he he often uh, acted across from Rita Hayworth. They were in like five movies together, but Gilda's the big one. And if you notice in this movie, when uh, Glenn Ford and I think it's Lee Marvin meet for the first time, the music in the background is put the blame on yeah. me from I Gilda. Did it. Notice that all this brilliance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so that was awesome. And um, so Glenn Ford, he started acting in high school, so he'd been acting forever and ever. Um, he served in World War II. He earned the French Legion of Honor Medal in 1992. Long after, so he was he was a war hero and. Um, Let's see. He was married for a while to Eleanor Powell, who was probably oh. the best tap dancer ever filmed oh, yeah. in this era. Eleanor Powell's amazing. She was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they were married for like mm, 10, 15 years, something like that. And uh, he passed away in 2006, very, very recently. Wow. Like, he passed away only like two months before the Brian Singer Superman movie came out. Oh yeah. It, yeah. In fact, in that movie, um, he he's seen in a photograph in the Kent home. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Glenn Ford was in it, and of course, you know, Lee Marvin, who we all love, um, of course, from um, like the, the Dirty Dozen, which I adore, and the Big Red One, which I just watched, and you know, just all these other fantastic things. Uh, he also served in World War II. He was shot in the butt during the Battle of Saipan. <laughs> so he has a purple place to get shot. <laughs> he had a purple heart. And when he came back from the uh, the war, he started working as a plumber's apprentice. Oh. And uh, so he was repairing a toilet in a theater. And uh, somebody asked him to stand in for an actor during rehearsal. And ever since then, he was like, I love the theater. Let's start acting. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> so the big heat was actually one of his earliest roles in movies. And uh, he got uh, plenty of notice during this one. And, uh, you know, after that, his career was just up and up and up because he's, you know, fantastic on screen. Very interesting, you know, given that he's a war hero and everything. And some of the movies he's been in, like particularly The Dirty Dozen, he was very anti-war. Um, he was actually... His favorite war movie that he's ever done was The Big Red One, which is very sure. anti-war. Um, also, he was one of the first people to stand up for gay rights in Hollywood. Oh, nice. Yeah. Go you. Yeah. He he was he actually went on record and he said he would be fine portraying a gay man on screen because he is he is confident in oh, his sexuality. Sorry, <laughs> speaking of gay, random homoerotic movie in the, or homoerotic moment in oh, this movie. Yeah. Yeah. What the, what like, was with that? There was so the so the gangsters in bed in silk pajamas which are very shiny mm-hmm. and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it comes dude in a robe just like <laughs> Terry Cloth robe is like what were you Excuse doing? Excuse me, sir. And, and you the, have a phone call. And he had a hairy chest and he was like very I'm here with my chin. Mm-hmm. And, and chin, with his chin and and an ashtray, like, oh, yeah. like ashtray in bed. His cigarette. Yeah. yeah. What was with that? Haze code. Yeah, I know. I know. And we we never saw him again either. I don't think. No. no. And there's no Mrs. Head gangster oh, guy. Yeah. I didn't see him anywhere or see her anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. And I mean. <laughs> That's a thought. That's a thought. I mean, nobody picks up his handkerchief and goes, Gardenia. In it. <laughs> but, um, 
which your listeners oh, is boy. a thing that actually happens in the Maltese Falcon. Oh, but yep. <laughs> Does Peter oh. Lorre do that? Yeah, um, uh, P- Peter Lorre was the one with the yeah, handkerchief yeah, yeah. that smelled That's like right. a dude. Right. Speaking of Peter Lorre, um, the woman in the painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is that? that? That's his ex-wife. That's Peter Lorre's ex-wife. Oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, oh, and there, there are a bunch of things like that in this movie. Um, okay, the 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 woman playing Banyan's wife. You caught this. Tanya t- caught this. Um, that's Marlon Brando's sister. That's uh, Jocelyn Brando. Mm-hmm. So she she was in it. Also, did you did you spot Morticia Adams? What? Oh wait, where the woman who was burned with the cigarette in the bar? Oh my You're god, kidding? No, because she's a blonde in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I she's was. Oh my god! If you go back and look at her face, it'll you'll just be like, I know. It's the eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking yeah, about it now. Yeah, yes. as soon as you said it, uh, totally. It's Morticia. Yay! Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, once you realize during that era she was a blonde, because yeah. you see her in House of Wax too with Vincent Price. <gasps> you're right, you're right, you're she right. Has she's the, in, yes, because she plays that dunderheaded ditzy blonde. Yeah, so uh, so that's great. Um, Morticia Adams is that also um, Jeanette Nolan, who is the evil widow. Yeah, uh, she's pretty fantastic. Okay, so Jeanette Nolan, um, as I was mentioning as we were watching this, Jeanette Nolan is in my, some of my favorite shitty movies in the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, she she had a long, long, long career. Tons of TV, lots of voice acting for Disney movies. Oh, really? So she was uh, voice, like voice in The Fox and the Hound and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> the things I know her from are like The Manitou <laughs> with Tony Curtis. And she's the best thing about Avalanche, which is this disaster movie featuring an avalanche. She's like this drunk old woman who comes in later. It's like, um, you know, the whole place has been destroyed by snow. And she's like, give me a drink. (laughs) So I love Jeanette Nolan. Also, people of my generation might remember a movie called Cloak and Dagger, in which a child um, has an imaginary friend named Dabney Coleman. And they, uh, you know, go find a spy ring and, you know, Unravel the spy ring. Okay, the the elderly couple who are not what they seem in Cloak and Dagger, one of them is Jeanette Nolan. Was she in Rosemary's Baby? Ooh, she might have been. It's been a long time I since say, I've seen her. I'll, I'll look her up. Uh, she's been in a bazillion things, so it's it's very likely. Uh, but anyway, uh, this this movie is the product of, you know, first of all, it, the, the story was originally a serial published in the Saturday Evening Post, yeah. written by William P. McGivern, who also wrote a book called Odds Against Tomorrow, which has turned into a fantastic movie, which we'll probably also watch on this podcast. But it was adapted into a screenplay by Sidney Bame, who uh, did stuff like When Worlds Collide. <laughs> he, he wrote everything from Westerns to sci-fi to, you know, the occasional that's, noir. That's prolific. Uh, yeah, but he was a former crime reporter and uh, was just a contract writer for several studios. So this was probably the biggest thing that he wrote. Um, what else can I tell you? Oh, of course, Fritz Lang. So... This movie was directed by Fritz Lang, who uh, started directing movies in in uh, Austria and Germany in the 1920s. And so he he is the man, like I said, be- behind Metropolis and M and Fury and Testament of Dr. Mabusa and Ministry of Fear and Scarlet Street and Rancho Notorious and just this long line of really fantastic older films. He was born in Austria. Uh, to a Jewish mother 
who converted to Catholicism. So when the Nazis came around, he was just their favorite person. <laughs> um, <clears throat> in about 1915, he joined the Austrian army during World War One. He was sent home with shell shock. Um, he started a few years later making movies in Berlin. Uh, he had kind of a hard life. His first wife shot herself in the chest. Um, his second, his second wife, um, they were married for a while and, uh, she was a actress named Thea von Harbo who wrote Metropolis and, uh, Dr. Mabuse, a gambler and Siegfried and M. So like a lot of Fritz Lang's early films were written, like co-written with her or she just outright wrote them like in the case of Metropolis. And so, um, they were partnered together until about 1933. So 1933 is when Joseph Goebbels calls Fritz Lang into his office about two weeks after uh, the testament of Dr. Mabusa has been banned in Germany. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you get called into the office by Joseph Goebbels, shit's going down. You know, even in 1933, he went before, you know, we really knew what turn that turned into. And uh, Joseph Goebbels said, well, we'd like you to be the head of the German Cinema Institute, which was basically code for, we'd like you to be part of the Nazi propaganda machine. Lang figures there's something up with this shit. And, and so Lang says, um, is kind of testing the waters because he, he figures it's a trap because the Nazis just banned his most recent film. And he goes, um, you know, my... My mother was Jewish, and uh, Goebbels replies, we'll decide who's Jewish. Okay. Which, which is like, yeah, Lang just starts backpedaling out of the office. And so, pretty much overnight, um, Fritz Lang moved whatever he, whatever money he could out of Germany into France. He sold his wife's jewelry and got the fuck out of there. Good call. Yeah. Um, like, so he abandoned Thea von Harbo and just left everything there. And Thea von Harbo actually went on to, like, write Nazi propaganda. So, you know. Mm. Oh, um, and also that uh, position as head of the German Film Institute eventually went to Lenny Riefenstahl, who, ah. made, oh. who made Triumph of the Will yeah. and Olympia oh. and oh, all Riefenstahl. that stuff. So, yeah. So anyway, um, eventually Fritz Lang wound up in Hollywood working for MGM. He um, he made some spectacular films with them, as you know he did prior to leaving Germany. And uh, but he gained a reputation for being abusive with actors. He was just kind of a mean bastard, and um, eventually made it uh, found it very hard to make movies. So um, in the I think it was late fifties, early sixties, he moved back to Germany, made his last three films there. Um, they weren't very well received. Um, by 1964, he was mostly blind yeah. and, uh, but he wound up being the president for the Cannes Film Festival oh. for that year and, um, you know, just retired yeah. sort of after that. He eventually married, uh, this is interesting. So he, he had a personal assistant named Lily Latte, L-A-T-T-E, I think is how you pronounce her last name. She was his personal assistant from like 1931 to 1971. And then they got married. <laughs> so like 40 years. 40 years of being a personal assistant. And, and then, they, then got they got married. Yeah. Huh. But at least they kept it professional. She was actually one of the people who got him out of Germany. She was in Paris at the time. Yeah. Got to help them get out. So, um, directors from Alfred Hitchcock to Louis Brunel to uh, Orson Welles all cite 
uh, Fritz Lang yep. as a very clear influence. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is also known for inventing the countdown clock. Like, really? like, like rockets. Because um, huh. his movie Women on the Moon in 1929, he had a countdown to the rocket launch. And ever since then, countdowns have been used. But like, was it launches. was it like he just put that in the movie, or was it like he just put that scientists in the... weren't using it? Before. Scientists weren't using it before. Scientists were were like, hmm, that seems like a good idea. Let's use a countdown clock. Amazing! <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> wow. Hmm. Life imitating art. Yeah, imitating life, imitating <gasps> imitating art. art. That's so deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like some Inception shit going on. I know, right? Uh, what if he was a time traveler? Maybe. Well, he has a monocle. You know, <laughs> something's up with that. Well, he, well, he can't be the Monopoly man, because then he would acquire a top hat and a monocle. Yeah, I don't recall him having a top hat. But, uh, yeah, he's... Interesting guy, very interesting life. But um, you know, given that life, he he made some very dark movies just because you know few yeah. people understand evil <laughs> like like a man who has escaped Nazi Germany. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, I keep going back to this, but I I just like how how in the big heat the movie is both stylized but also kind of realistic. There's something really kind of gritty about it. Yeah. Well, it, it's like um, they let their quote unquote hero mm-hmm. have like the need for revenge, the yeah. need for uh, evil thoughts. It's not just justice. Right. He's not yeah. out for justice. He's out. He's out to hurt somebody. Yeah, he's not out to yeah. right or wrong. He's out to just kick somebody's ass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and shoot him in the face, possibly. Yeah. And honestly, he's even more cruel than that because he yeah, doesn't he just shoot. Larry Gordon when he tracks him down. No, right. He sets him up to, like, probably have the shit beaten out of oh, him yeah. and tortured horribly before he gets killed. Yeah, right. He doesn't do him the, the courtesy of a quick death. Well, and like what Debbie says, um, the, the chick who gets hit with the coffee, yeah. she's like, you don't care about me. You don't care about anybody. All you care about is this thing. Because he knows, like, he knew that if he was seen with her, which he obviously was... Like, he knew if she goes back to Vic, or uh, to Lee Marvin, Mm -hmm. like, something bad is going to happen to her, because Lee Marvin is a proven abuser. Like, he's seen it. She's even said that he's done stuff like that before. And rather than try to say, hey, maybe you should not go back there... Yeah, let's, no, let's he's just like for the night. He's just go, like like find your mother or something. Go get out of my hotel room. Yeah, he's like, I don't care like, what you do. Send you home. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. Wow. And and she calls him on it, which mm-hmm. I thought was good. I really like the way they they treated her character. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I liked was it's very rare where the haze code. Oh yeah. It makes as many gradients as I thought that it did in this one. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't strictly black and white, which is where no. the haze code usually goes. Yeah, and I also like the fact that it was. Like, they use metaphor, too. It wasn't just you die or you don't die. Like, the coffee thing of her getting scarred was, like, the metaphor of, like, her, her like, letting this stuff go on 
but, but not the not, yeah, right. Yeah. But she, so she knows these guys are doing bad stuff, but she's okay with just like walking to the next room. Mm-hmm. So she's like morally ambiguous. And then like the coffee thing that scars have her face. And then I like the fact that Lee Marvin got the same treatment. Yeah. Oh God, that was so Because it was just like poetic. Like, he walks into his dark <laughs> home and she just throws the coffee in his face. Mm-hmm. And then tells him exactly how it's going to go down. Oh, yeah, it's going to burn. You yep. think it doesn't look that bad. But then guess what? And she tears off her bandages. It's going to look like this. I was like, oh, my God. Because I thought they were. we were just going to go through the whole movie. Oh, yeah, now. with the bandage. And not see her. Because she's movie yeah. pretty. Yeah, mm-hmm. because she, exactly. I was thinking it was going to be kind of like um, Gerard Butler and the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, yeah, slightly yeah. unattractive yep, to one yep. side. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking it was totally going to be like that. But instead, you know, she takes off the bandages and they're like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. They, they actually show that she got fucked up in a very realistic mm-hmm. manner. Mm-hmm. So that was that was just immensely satisfying. And she's like, yep, this is your life now. Yep. Enjoy that. I, I love she gets her comeuppance. Yeah. I, I, or not her. She, she, she delivers yes. comeuppance. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. she, she gets it because she's done bad things. But yeah. she ends up. She, she. Goes back and earns it retroactively. Yeah. Really, is yeah. What it comes yeah. To. Which is just fine. She's like, I I'm already okay know that everything's gonna suck, so I'm gonna go and do these things that are well, gonna make gonna gonna get my revenge for what's been done to me when all I've done is help. Mm-hmm. Well, and she, she's just been an enabler the whole time. And how does he repay her by throwing? Yeah. Her? And the other thing that I thought was interesting was like she actually goes around and does dirty work for the cop because he mm. quote unquote can't. And, yeah. like, he even tells her, like, I was there. I almost did this bad thing. Yeah, and tells her why he almost did it. And she's like, oh, well, you can't do it, but I could. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, how can I get my revenge and get his revenge? Yep. So she does it for both of them, which I thought was really good. I wonder, too, if that says something about, like, because I, th- I wonder if she's doing it more for his wife I than for him. Part of it's... And, but also because she knew it was going to hurt Vince. Yeah, that's It true. was going to hurt the Lee Marvin character. She was she was so... Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think she did it more for the wife than the cop. Well, and she kind of makes that comment, we're sisters under the mink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Not not the widow. Uh, no, no. The, the, the cop's wife. Yeah, no, no, no. I, no, wanna... but, but she, I mean, she makes that comment oh, yeah, to yeah, the yeah. widow that we're sisters under the mink. Because you can tell she's, she's like, I'm identifying with these women. And I see myself in Bertha. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and I know what I deserve. So here's she, what you yeah, you deserve instead, the same instead thing. Instead of looking at yep. her husband's plight and seeing my husband killed himself over this and immediately, you know, destroying this ring, she instead goes in it for the money. So she's like, yes, we're sisters yep. in this. And that's why I know you deserve this. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, Mrs. Banyan didn't do anything to deserve what nope. happened to her. And Well, except for she so. smoked and she drank on camera. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> right. She's, she had a puff of a cigarette and a sip of scotch. Yeah. And, and and allegedly probably had a can of beer. We didn't yeah. see it. No, no, she didn't finish the beer. Yeah. She had it in her hand. It probably got drank. Um, so, yes, I guess she deserved to get blown up in a car bomb. By car taste code standards. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you know. that's how film works, right? Well, and, you know, somebody needed <laughs> to get And my fridged. wife said some words that I didn't know she knew. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> how did I know she was going to drive the car? Women don't drive cars. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Oh, by the way, uh, so the um, the mole who throws coffee in Lee Marvin's face, not De- Debbie, Debbie, 
uh, is Gloria yes. Graham. She's, uh, you've seen her in It's a Wonderful Life. She played yep. Violet. Uh, she was also in In a Lonely Place, which is directed by Nicholas Ray, who uh, directed Johnny Katar, which we saw last time. Uh, she was also in Oklahoma. And Whoa, Oklahoma. Which, which one was she? Was she a big one? Oh, crap. I forget which. <sighs> she probably wasn't one of the main ones. It's been so long since I've seen I'll Oklahoma. Look her up. Uh, she was also in Greatest Show on Earth and Odds Against Tomorrow. There's that movie again. Yeah. Um, but uh, she, during this era, she no studio really knew what to do with her because she had kind of the the sex kitten thing going oh, yeah, on a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, so her best roles always came from being loaned out to other studios from whatever her contract get, <gasps> kept getting passed around. She was who I thought she was. She's she was Ado Annie. Who's the, oh, who's the chick who says I'm just a girl who can't say no? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she I was do. amazing in that. <laughs> I think she's an Oscar, a former Oscar winner, too. I can't remember what she won for, though. Uh, she was actually married to Nicholas Ray for a while. Oh. Um, but then she was rumored to have had an affair with his son. Oh. Mm. And then eventually went on to marry his son. <laughs> Oh. later she there was won, like another husband in between but. Uh, she won a she won for uh best supporting actress in the bad and the beautiful oh with yeah Kirk Douglas. yeah mm-hmm. we should watch that too we should watch everything we should watch everything all the movies yeah but yeah quite quite a fun little actress and uh in some very iconic roles um oh let's see what else can i say about this movie I just like it. I like it a lot. It's yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Although we do need to create that. Um, before before we started recording, Melissa and I were talking about how I couldn't remember if I'd seen this one because the title was so similar to a bunch of other movies, mm-hmm. and so we needed to to make a noir film name generator. <laughs> like just takes five random words and like puts them all in order. So kind of like when when MST3K is going through with the with the guy split chest hair, big yeah, ex- large huge, yes, like that kind of exactly, exactly. But like okay. for noir okay. movies, but for okay, Bob Johnson. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the big gun. <laughs> yeah. Guns galore. <laughs> Heat of the gun. <laughs> Heat of the night. Wait, I think that's a real one. <laughs> so yeah, I think that is a thing that needs to happen. Yeah, we yes. can we can build that into the site. I'm pretty sure. Okay. All right. So I think we're winding down. Do we have any final thoughts at all? Or watch it. Yeah, watch it. Watch it. Debbie was awesome. Yeah, go awesome. Debbie. Go Debbie. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> Tanya's having a moment. If she didn't die, she would have gone to Dallas. Oh God, oh. Tanya. Tanya. <laughs> I think we need to be done. All right, so <laughs> so Tanya just brought this home. So. Dear listeners, please join us next time when we will watch The Asphalt Jungle. <laughs> so, in the meantime, I have been Melissa, and this has been... Allie. And... <laughs> that, was, that was Tanya. Thank you for joining us, dear listeners. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoy our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Noir Education. Ba-doo, 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 ba-
Thank you for joining us for A Real Education Noir. New episodes arrive on the 7th and 21st of every month. You can find our podcasts and social media feeds on our website at realedunoir.com. Special thanks to Tim Wick, Jeffrey Brown, and Chad Dutton for our theme music. If you like our show, you might also like our parent podcast, A Real Education, which discusses all genres of film. You can find it on the web at realedu.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Hey, that's nice perfume. Something new. It attracts mosquitoes and repels men. <laughs> <laughs>